Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. We're clearing the docket this week. I'm your guest bailiff, Elliot Kalin, in for Jesse Thorne. How are you, Judge Hodgman? I am good, Elliot Kalin. Ladies and gentlemen, Elliot Kalin is my friend, my now former colleague at The Daily Show. Uh, former because he has left the show. He, he was uh, for well, a long time. Wait a minute. Let me start this again. <laughs> I can hear you struggling not to insult me yet. I'm just trying to figure out when. <laughs> when to insult you is my question. Well, so, all right. We, uh, we, can, keep, we can keep all of this in because people who listen <laughs> to the podcast know a couple of things about Elliot Kalen. One is that he is the host of the very, very popular Maximum Fun family podcast known as The Flop House which he co-hosts with Dan McCoy and Stuart Wellington. Uh, a very, I'll say this about the, the podcast, Elliot. It's very popular. Thank you. That is the faintest of praise. Well, I hope you caught the damnation in it. Because <laughs> yeah. it really burns me that your podcast, and it is definitely a podcast, and it is definitely very popular, is more popular than this very podcast. That's not always the case. Uh, often, yours is ahead of ours on the iTunes most most podcastable oh, I podcast lists. I don't follow. I don't follow the rankings that closely because I guess I'm secure. But if you're checking them <laughs> all the time and you're saying that the Judge John Hodgman podcast beats yours from time to time, uh, with uh, with all of with all of its uh, uh, nerdy, I dare say, charm. And it actually is a very enjoyable podcast in which Elliot and uh, Dan McCoy and Stuart Wellington, and sometimes a guest, I've, I've heard, I've never been asked to do it, but <laughs> we've, I guess we've always assumed you were too big for us. Yeah, well, you would think so because, you know, the Judge John Hodgman podcast had probably been podcasting for two or maybe three years before you guys went on the fake internet air. I, I don't think and, that's the case. And I... Well, at least before you guys joined the Maximum Fun family. Oh, yes, for, for several years before we joined Maximum Fun. Right. And also, uh, I am still on television sometimes. So I'm still on-camera talent. So you would think that, I, that the Judge John Hodgman podcast, being an established podcast hosted by someone who is still on television sometimes, should just be racing to the top of the charts. Then here comes Elliot Kalin, not on-camera talent. Off-camera talent, extremely very far talented. off, far far from the camera. Right. So very talented, very very talented. If you don't Thank know you. who Elliot is, everybody, Elliot, you may know him from his uh, his his television special that came out in September called the sixty seventh Primetime Emmy Awards. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the outgoing head writer of the Daily Show with John Stewart, which which had won the Emmy for best show of its type that year, this year. Elliot was uh, was no you, you were drafted to speak on behalf of the writers. Is that I was, right? It was for yes. the writing Emmy. Yeah. As, as head John writer. spoke, right? John spoke when the the show won the award, but as when the show won for writing, the, the the writers looked for a leader, and the leader, the leader, of course, was Elliot Kalin, who got up and gave a speech uh, as the head writer and off the cuff, right, Elliot? Uh, about about ninety five percent off the cuff. You had a few, you had a few sentences written on your cuff. In that, as a thought experiment, I had said to myself a while back, a long time before, if we won and I was the one talking, what would I? What kind of thing would I say, or what are the points I would want to hit? And then oh, I was. So you've been thinking about it for years. Oh yeah, oh many years. Yeah, I see. No, but the uh, I think because it was the final year, the show was eligible. The decision was made that John would speak if we won any of the awards. But then when we went up on stage, John had no interest in speaking. Ah, and so he drafted me, you at the last minute. Motioned me to the microphone a couple times. And finally you spoke, and you spoke from the heart. I don't remember what you said, but it was good. I remember thinking, you know why I couldn't, you know why I couldn't, I didn't remember what you said. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Because, because I couldn't, I couldn't hear you because my ears were full of tears. <laughs> That's touching and concerning. <laughs> I was so happy for you 
because what what I'm not sure anyone who was watching at home knew because first of all they're like why isn't John talking who's this weirdo yeah they didn't know that Elliot you began at the show as a as an intern yeah as an intern and, and at what age were you at that time I was I interned uh, at the at the young age of twenty. The young age of 20. Not the old age of 20, which it would have been the case if this was like biblical times. Right, of course. Uh, no, but in the, at the young age of 20, in the, in the 19, in the, in the, what, in what year? How old are you now? That was, uh, now I'm, I'm 33, so that was 2002. 13, 13 years ago, young Elliot Kalin arrived from some hometown somewhere. Milburn, New a, Jersey. With, with a, sure, we'll say that, why not? <laughs> With a straw boater on and, a, mm-hmm. and an, an old timey suitcase in the door yeah. of the Daily Show, little pennant that John just said Stewart. "college" on it. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> said uh, said uh, I will do anything, and I'll intern here. And you did, and you and you worked your way up to what was the next job you had? Uh, production assistant. Production assistant, and then uh, associate segment producer. All right, now this is getting boring. Anyway, then, point then is segment fine. producer. Then I okay. lost the associate part. Yeah, stop. And then and then you made a big leap to the writing staff, which was not by you had to apply for that job from yes. within, right? And so yeah. you had to write samples and you made a that was an unusual leap even within a show that was known for promoting from within and eventually you became the head writer. It's a true I'm not going to say rags to riches story because we're both white middle class men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there but were no rags. A, but 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 throughout throughout the experience, we were all rooting for you, and I was rooting for you, even though I spent most of the first years, as people who've listened to this podcast know, mercilessly bullying you because I am a big nerd, and here was someone else who was also a big nerd for comics and movies and and that sort of stuff. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, you were the, you were the kind of guy who who who, re- who remembers nerdy details about movies that I can't remember, and it, it, it threatened me because I was really I was threatened, and so I began. A pretend doing a comedy routine where I would say I would walk by your desk and pick up some paraphernalia you might have like a Iron Man mask I believe it was and I'd yeah. grab it and say this is mine now nerd and walk out and I found it so and we've discussed this many times I found it so powerfully uh, 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 it was such a powerfully positive euphoric experience I suddenly realized why there are bullies in the world because they feels great and they can get away with it and then as you and and then I, I got to a point where I threw my shoes at you once and I felt bad about that. And that so was around the time that I, I said to my wife in private, I was like, I think I have to talk to Hodgman because like <gasps> a line's been crossed. Like, I don't know. But then you were very nice and you stopped bullying me. So, so really luckily we never to had your, to, I was like, did you really talk to your wife? About she she it? was like, if it's really bothering you, you should. You should talk oh. to him about it. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to make him feel weird. But like this, it's really like it's getting oh to a point where it's like not ironic anymore. But then you you recognize that I think throwing your shoes at me was was farther than human behavior should go. Uh, I'm yeah, it, 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 it was I, I felt bad about it. I'm just I, I'm very sorry to hear that. I guess I, this is this is new news to me. If you've told me this before, I forgot. No, I no, I don't. I, we never talked before. I decided that a, a publicly broadcast podcast would be this the best time, time to to, <laughs> to reveal I'm that just, to you. I'm just surprised that your wife didn't mention this to me at any point because I spend a lot of time with her. As you know, we go uh, travel a lot together. We go yeah. out a lot. And it's, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. And I'm just surprised you didn't mention it. That, that's the, it's interesting to me that the bullying bit, you realized this is too far, I should stop. But a bit that I don't know if you've talked about too much in public before where you pretend, yeah. you've pretended this for years that you're having an affair, a long running affair with my wife. That's a bit that you continue to this very day. It's a, I wouldn't say that it's an affair. I don't think that there's really a, a, a word for what it is. I mean, it's a very deep connection and, you know, it's not a secret. I talk to you about it all the time. You're very open about it. She never brings it up. She doesn't mention it to me. Well, I don't know. But you're very mm-hmm. open about this this intimate relationship. I'm, that's not even it. I don't even want to say what it is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Let's not try to describe it. Let's just let it be what it is. Yeah, no, I'm very. You and my wife I, don't need labels. Right. In real in real life, I am extremely fond of Elliot. And the thing is that when Elliot became head writer, and I've talked about this on the podcast, I tried to bully him after that and I just couldn't do it because now all of a sudden the 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 status differential was 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 new it was a new status differential 
and and even on camera talent like myself has to be a little careful around the head writer of the Daily Show for heaven's sakes. And and I was so proud and happy that you had that job, and uh, and and I'm very grateful that you did not then turn around and start bullying me. You showed extreme restraint, and I appreciate it. Thank no, you. No, well, I. I thank you for for saying those nice things. I I, I know I noticed I didn't get on the show a whole lot after that. Though. I, <laughs> I mean, mean, I don't know. There was a price to pay. I'm not going to deny not, that. But I'm not saying there weren't reprisals. We can be and adults then, about this, right? And then <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Elliot swoops into the to, it, 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 into the Maximum Fun family some years ago with this uh, glorious podcast, and just has been lapping the Judge Sean Hodgman podcast ever since. But I want everyone to understand that even though I often talk about Elliot as my as my mortal enemy on the podcast, uh, in truth, he is a very good friend and an incredibly talented person. I'm very glad he is here today. And I realized that I got all sidetracked by explaining what the Flophouse is. So here's what it is. Elliot and Stuart and Dan McCoy, who uh, is also in a lot. Is he still at The Daily Show or is he? Uh, Dan is still at The Daily Show. He decided to continue to keep a great, stable job, uh, unlike me, who decided to dive into the abyss of unemployment. And uh, and Stuart is is still planning to open his bar that's come that's opening up soon. Oh, maybe I'll plug later. Okay, well, that's that's called a tease. It's basically (laughs) the greatest. That's a show sign of a real professional podcast. <laughs> we're going to tease the plug that we're going to do later. <laughs> Stick around because you're going to hear us mention some shows that we're going to be a part of. <laughs> and my friend's opening a bar. You want to hear about this, so don't go away. Get ready for the part of the podcast at the end that no one listens to. Uh, but I'm going to plug right now. The Flophouse, I still haven't explained what it is. You guys watch a terrible movie, and then as soon as you're done watching it, you start recording your conversations about the movie. So, what was the last? What was the last movies you saw that you remember? The, well, we, the most recent one we did. Uh, the episode is up. It was a movie called "Deliver Us from Evil," uh, based on the not true true story of a policeman in New York who has become a professional demonologist, uh, and after a, an yeah. experience with an exorcism in New York City. Yeah. Uh, in which Joel McHale and Eric Bana and Olivia Munn all get to do incredibly over-the-top New York accents to prove that this is actually New York that we're watching. Uh, because everyone in New York talks like, hey, yo, uh, the demons, I don't know, what do you think? Oh, let's arrest this guy, what? Uh, ha- hang on, Elliot, 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 hang on a second. There's something going wrong with the podcast. I'm I'm picking up, I think I'm picking up, must be WNYC, the New York public radio station, because I just started hearing all these New York accents. Uh, that's, uh, I should apologize. I, I should have, I should have let you know ahead of time that I was slipping into New Yorkese. Oh, whoa, that was you? Yeah, that's, that's oh why they call goodness. me the master of a thousand voices minus about 900 and some odd voices. The, uh, there's a, a great moment in it where there's a crazy woman who has thrown, hurled her baby into the the moat around a lion cage at the Bronx Zoo and the police have come to look for her in the zoo and Eric Bana finds her mumbling and ranting to herself and she's scrabbling scratching against a stone in the ground she's just scratching against it and she's mumbling to herself and they capture her and handcuff her to a bench and she's just sitting there scratching and and repeating Doors lyrics to herself over and over again and Eric Bana just looks at her and goes what's wrong with you? (laughs) What's that, wrong with you? That interrogation does not yield usable results. Yeah, that's usually that's a that's one of the old interrogation ploys. You there's take them off cop, guard. Bad cop. <laughs> there's good cop, bad cop. Imitate uh, uh, intimidation by threat of force. Uh, you you let them stew in their own juices for a long time, and sometimes you just bring them to a zoo and just say, "What's wrong with you?" Despite mixed reviews from critics, the film was a box office success, says Wikipedia, grossing $87.9 million against a $30 million budget. I guess that means we can look forward to a sequel and maybe get to hear it again on the Flophouse podcast, which is available for MaximumFun.org. I do my plugs at the top of the show. I don't tease them. Wow. There it is. Plugged. Also, Elliot is unemployed, and if you're looking for a very talented, <laughs> looking for a very talented writer... Uh, you, well, well, why don't you let me, why don't you let uh, anyone here at Maximum Fun know? Uh, because, or, and, but don't let Elliot know. We'll keep it a secret from him. <laughs> no. I'm the last person who should know that there's work out there. Now, look, I could talk to my friend Elliot Kalen all day long. I think that's obvious, but this is uh, a podcast about justice. Every now and then 
We take some of the smaller cases uh, or the ones that can easily be decided or, or best decided, not in the presence of the actual litigants. So I don't have to deal with their responses <laughs> or and I can really not be afraid of insulting them. And uh, and Jesse Thorin normally is the bailiff of this court and will, and reads the docket cases to me. But Jesse is is indisposed this week. And so here is Elliot with the first one. Daniel writes, I bought a voice command device a few months ago. It wasn't a super sensible purchase, but I'm a diehard techie and like pretending I'm talking to the enterprise computer. The voice command device responds to the name. Oh, yeah, don't say the name because I, I think I know what this what this item is and we're just not going to say the brand name. And, and if I say, I'll just say that the voice command device responds to a female name, which is weird and offensive. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, uh, it, let's say the name is uh, Roboslave. Okay, that? Roboslave okay, works. Robo right. The voice command device responds to the name Roboslave. When I give it an order such as Roboslave, set a timer for 10 minutes, or Roboslave, put Oreos on the shopping list, I notice my wife quietly appending a please to my directive. On the face of it, this is ludicrous. For all that the synthesized voice sounds remarkably human, it is a machine with no sense of dignity that needs to be taken into account. On the other hand, I wonder if my wife may be onto something and not because the robot might get offended. As voice-operated interfaces become more intelligent, prevalent, and human-like, we run the risk of confusing these interactions with how we treat real human beings. From this standpoint, treating RoboSlave with sensitivity and courtesy keeps us from losing our basic humanity where we really need it, in dealing with other people. What do you think, Judge Hodgman? Should we already be working toward a kinder, gentler human-machine interface? Are there rules of etiquette for interacting with AI? Letter N. So, thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, before I make my ruling, Elliot, do you have a, a, a strong feeling? Uh, do you have a guess as to what my opinion will be? And we can judge whether it is correct or not. Uh, the, I would guess that, I mean, this is just how I feel about it. So I'm going to hope that you feel the same way I do about it. That uh, it does, it is a good idea to treat RoboSlave with a minimum of politeness uh, because the more he treats his computer voice box like a non-human, the more likely he is to talk to other things performing services to him, like humans, as non-humans. And the reason I say this is because I have a small child, and I found that I st have now started talking to adults the way I talk to my small child, like asking them what color things are, or <laughs> if they remember the name of their friend, or things like that. Do you so. ask them if they want to bite a bagel? <laughs> exactly. You want to bite a bagel? <laughs> Uh, so my I, friend Margaret, that, that that deserves credit to Margaret Cordy, my friend and neighbor here in Park Slope, Brooklyn, who, who who identified the most annoying parental phrase in Park Slope, Brooklyn, which is parents saying to their children over and over again, "Want to buy a bagel? Want to buy a bagel? Want to buy a bagel?" Oh, see, what I don't like is when parents say, "If a, if a kid hits another kid," and they go, "No, we don't hit," because it implies that everybody else hits, but we're better than them. We don't hit. <laughs> I, I, when my children were young, I said, we only hit as a family in a coordinated <laughs> attack. <laughs> we don't go rogue. We don't go solo. That's just not how we do it. Well, the family well, that attacks together, something that rhymes with attacks together. <laughs> uh, I would... <laughs> Uh, they, they they smacks together. They smack people <laughs> together. I mean, literally, it's just kind of it's pretty obvious. Uh, I uh, I well, your your opinion is correct, Elliot. It is true. I mean, it is true that the the more you get into the habit of speaking a certain way, the more likely you are to do it. Whether that is to patronize a child, or uh, I should rather say, debase yourself as an adult by tending to a child's needs all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or somewhat literally dehumanizing your experience of other humans by talking to a robot too much. Uh, save your condescension and orders for your children, everybody. Use your best table manners for your robot. Uh, so in the, in, the, in the Judge John Hodgman hierarchy, it goes adult humans, robots, children. Yeah, well... You know, children are going to kill you, but they don't want to, <laughs> right? It's not it's not their intention to. Robots, the jury is still out. We've had a long-running non-debate, honestly, since we ruled on it in one of the very first episodes, that a machine gun is not a robot. There was some guy who 
some weirdo, well, I don't want to be dismissive of him, some robot got on the program <laughs> with, with, uh, with a theory that a machine gun, te- by, by technical definition, a machine gun would qualify as a robot. And, and what we said was, was, in fact, that a machine gun is not a robot, because even though a machine gun can kill you, a, a machine gun does not want to kill you like a robot does or will eventually as AIs uh, become increasingly sophisticated. Uh, why wouldn't they see humans as a horrible infection upon this planet and uh, and get rid of them uh, Ultron style? Yeah. So I, I'm just saying start practicing being polite to the robots now because you don't I, you don't know how long RoboSlave is going to remain a RoboSlave. Soon RoboSlave will be RoboMaster. And in the meantime, you're also training yourself to basically be decent to everyone else who's helping you in life, just as uh, just as uh, Elliot said. I would say the only exception to this rule would be if you want the computer to enhance something, because then the only proper way to say it is, computer, enhance! You're making reference to one of my very favorite scenes in Filmdom, which is when, when, when in the far distant future, Harrison Ford in Blade Runner... <laughs> prints out a photograph <laughs> and you just like you do and uses a computer to analyze it and get closer and closer until he finds a single snake scale on a reflection in a mirror in a bathtub. And that's how he knows how to find the robot who is rebelling. Right. See it yeah. all full circle. It's the definition of a mystery. The audience does not have the information to solve. Speaking of movies and trivia and performance and such, Elliot Kalen, surely you know the origin of the term robot? Oh, yeah. But it's from the Carl Capek's Are You Are. Exactly, because I need to take a break, so you just talk to them for a minute. <laughs> okay. Well, Carl Capek is a... It was a... Uh, I can't remember if he was Czech or Polish. He also wrote the book The War with the Czech. Newts. Czech. Wrote Czech. The, War, the War with the Newts, which is a great book. It's very funny. Uh, Let's just talk about one piece of incredibly obscure. <laughs> okay. well, he wrote a, for, he wrote a play called RUR, which stands for Rossum's Universal Robots. Yes, and uh, the robots robot is derived from the Czech word for worker. It so, is actually derived from the Czech word robota, meaning forced labor. Oh, okay. They were slaves, and what did those robots do? They rebelled. They rebelled. And they rebelled. <laughs> and how did I? How do I know this? Did I see this play? <laughs> Or read it? No. <laughs> and I have neither. <laughs> no. It's it's now it's robot slaves rebelling is now it, no you know you can't blame R U R for this but it is now a, uh, such a cliche that I don't need to read it. And at the same time, I did read his novel about giant oh, newts boy. that we just war in the United States. I don't no, or the world, no really the whole no. surface world. No, there's, a, there's some funny no. stuff in it. I don't want to. Mm, I don't want to hear about this. Got too much going on here. Too much on the docket. Okay. I want to go down to the... What is it called? What? The novel. Oh, The War with the Newts. All right. All right, you got me. What? What is it about? <laughs> so there's some intelligent newts that attack uh, the surface world. That's, a, that's pretty much the entire plot of the novel. And uh, it, are they, it ends are they, it... Are, are they giant newts? They are. They're about human-sized, yeah. Where like they, do they live? Underwater. I have the film rights been option. I don't believe so. I think I think you just got a new job. <laughs> it's probably in the public domain, right? I would assume so. I don't know who owns the who who are works the, newts, the Capic estate. Are the human are the human sized newts that are taking over the world uh are they an allegory for something or is it just newts doing what newts do? They're more an engine to allow uh, him to satirize a number of different things. Like but, what things? Uh, war, the film business, uh, the way governments oh, okay. work. Uh, <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to say newts. <laughs> oh, and certainly newts. The newts actually yeah. get a fairly sympathetic hearing in the book. Sure. Well, you, all right. Thanks again. You've been listening to Elliot Kalin's Obscure <laughs> Book Corner. <laughs> Tomorrow I'll talk to you about City, the Clifford Simak collection about how dogs and robots take over the world. Is that true? Oh, it's a really fun book. Yeah, that's yeah. A, it's already. A cl- yeah, a, a, a cliche, in, <laughs> a cliche in the tradition of Rossum's Universal Robots. 
<laughs> it's like this. It's like it's like uh, it's like uh, that old joke about Die Hard. It's Die Hard on a boat. It's Die Hard in a Zeppelin. Now it's like Robot Rebellion, but this time with dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll look at that one too. Elliot knows a lot of culture, a lot of obscure culture, all the nonsense culture. What is the next item up for the docket? Okay, so do we clarify that? Talk nicely to your robots. It's just a matter of time. All right. Derek writes, I bring to you a dispute with my girlfriend, Imbi. When does a tiny lump of toy become trash and deserve to be thrown away? Imbi and I have lived together with our blended family of five children for almost five years. We share domestic duties in our home, which he notes, I'm just going to say as if that's a special thing and not the basic premise that all mature adult relationships should stem from of sharing domestic duties. But anyway, we share domestic duties in our home and... While I tend to be a slight tidy freak, Imbi will usually focus on the more taxing deep cleaning tasks. I believe that Lego bricks and pieces left around the house, on floors, under beds, eventually lose their privileges as toys and should be reclassified as junk. Imbi recognizes that I have problems with orphaned Legos, but thinks we should not throw those pieces away. She says they still belong to the collection and should be put back where they belong. Judge, please declare that once a Lego has been disregarded for a certain length of time, it is no longer protected. Your help would be appreciated, as I often find myself poised at the rubbish bin, about to chuck a tiny, tiny, tiny red Lego light, and I see Imbi running towards me in moral panic. Well, speaking of moral panic, I just realized I let you get out Lego before stopping you. So it is probably... <laughs> I don't I don't really think that Derek is, is a secret buzz marketer for the Lego Corporation, because in the, in the, in the world... Uh, Lego is is uh, almost without competitor in its in its uh, uh, its functionality and its aesthetic. Uh, however, since we did mention Lego, I do feel obliged to mention the major Lego clone manufacturers, as listed in Wikipedia. So just to so everyone, it's just fair play all around on my podcast. If you if you want something that is not is not Lego, but does kind of the same thing because you're a weirdo. You still want an interlocking brick, but not the name brand. Yeah, exactly. You want to go. You want to go get the generic interlocking brick in the in the no name aisle of your Canadian supermarket. Here's what you go for: Banbao, Best Lock, Brick Tech, Built to Rule, Kobe, Coco, Connects, Creo, Mega Blocks, and Tyco Superblocks. Banbao, what is that? Banbao <laughs> Building Blocks. Partially, partially compatible with Lego brand blocks, it says here. So there you go. But you won't. You're not going. To, you're not going to go get one of those competitors, everybody, because uh, Lego is uh, is is a thing of uh, beauty and a thing of value. What do you think? I am going to rule on this one, Elliot. Um, I'm not quite sure. I th- I think you'll go with the not throwing things away side, but I'm not as certain about that you're correct you are not going to buy competition lego because lego has value it has real value and there is a large aftermarket in used lego on ebay and it has been estimated that lego uh, in bulk sells for uh, eight to ten dollars a pound and depending on where you're shopping and if you're not too picky about for, uh, you know, grass-fed uh, organic stuff. You can get like you can get you could get you can get a bone-in ribeye steak for ten dollars a pound. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, you you might as well be throwing <laughs> you might as well be throwing pieces of meat away. You see, Derek, <laughs> tiny you might as pieces well be, of meat. Yeah, imagine imagine a world in which you had tiny pieces of meat littered all over your floor. Would you <laughs> would you throw that meat away? You probably would, Derek. This is a flawed analogy. Tiny pieces <laughs> of ribeye, tiny cubes of interlocking cubes of ribeye steak all over your floor. Would you throw them away, Derek? <laughs> you probably probably would, but in this case, you know, this is this is valuable stuff. I agree that it is it is simply wasteful. Now, I understand why Derek would do it. Stepping on a Lego in bare or bestockinged feet. <laughs> Uh, is really one of the most painful things to, that can happen to your foot, short of it being smashed with a hammer. 
you have a you have a child that you have mentioned, Elliot. So I'm not revealing anything here. He, no, he, no. This your is... your son is a little too young to be doing anything with Lego other than choking on it, though, right? But he's very good at that. Oh, <laughs> good. He's no, very maybe. advanced at choking on Legos for his age. He's probably still using Duplo. He's, yeah, he chokes on Duplo still. He does has one I've, Duplo set. I don't want to have... hear. I don't want to hear jokes about your son choking. Okay. This is a family podcast. But there, I, are ch- there are children who are listening to this in their cars as they drive to work. Saying what? They're going to be very <laughs> upset. There, uh, he does have a Duplo set, and I have stepped on them. And even at that size, it's it can be very hurtful. Yeah, Duplo set. You 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 can tw- you turn an ankle on a Duplo set, and you're going down. Oh yeah. But That's- a but a but an adult, not an adult size, but a regular size Lego. That thing isn't. You're not gonna. You're not gonna be. You're not gonna take a spill. It's just gonna burrow its way into the sole of your foot in such a painful manner that it will create uh, a, a more lasting wound, an internal wound of spite toward all Lego on the floor. And I can understand why, Derek, you might want to punish the Lego by throwing them away. But but don't do don't do this. Lego, the beauty of Lego is that it can be used and reused durably. Uh, for many, many, many years, and to just throw it away is just on its on its face uh, wasteful. Uh, and then underneath its face, <laughs> I don't know what else. Say I don't know what it is underneath its face mask. It's what it's hiding. Yeah, what is you know? But I, you know, it's it's it uh, it's it, here's the other aspect. Uh, it's on its face wasteful, and then be- behind its it's hideous face mask. It is it is weirdly punitive. Punitive of the Legos, which of course are an inanimate objects. And then I suspect there is an element of punitive of the children for leaving them around. And as a parent of two human children uh, who n- no longer plays with toys, but simply talk to watch videos of talk to and watch videos of 45 year old men on the Internet now. But when they played with toys and they would leave them around, I once I once hatched a plan. That any toy that was left in a common space or on the floor or whatever, uh, a- a- after after an opportunity was given to the child to clean it up, I would take that toy and take it away forever and either throw it away or, or give it to someone else. <laughs> take it away forever like some kind of Rankin-Bass villain. <laughs> yeah, and I proposed this. I said, "Here's a, this is this will get these kids, these monstrous kids, to clean up after themselves. What if I steal their toys if they're left out after dark or something?" And my wife said, "If you would like to be a monster, that's fine." <laughs> I said, "Oh yeah." I, you know, when you when you when you blend a family as you have admirably done, and you have children, the truth is, and it requires a tremendous amount of grace to accept the imperfection that will visit itself upon your home, the messiness, both literal and figurative, that having kids uh, in your home uh, visits upon you. And especially if you are, as you put it, a slight tidy freak, mm, contradiction in terms. <laughs> <laughs> Freakishness is rarely slight, uh, if, especially if you're very admitting di- to it. Very yeah. disappointing sideshow would be the slight yeah. freaks. <laughs> Come see the slightly asymmetrical man. One arm is half an inch longer than the other. It's hard for him to buy clothes off the rack, ladies and gentlemen. Now, did you have one, Elliot? Mine was uh, was not as good as that. All right. It was just a that... slightly shorter than average man. Oh, okay. That's good, too. That, that would have been... Gaze upon the too. top of his head. <laughs> From your slightly higher vantage. <laughs> Tut, tut to yourself quietly about the bald spot he does not know is forming. Uh, in any case, y- y- yeah, once you're punishing inanimate objects for the sins of your actual, your biological and adopted children, you, you are, you are, you're corrupting your soul in some way. So just get a plastic bin for spare Legos because we need more plastic in the world, apparently, and chuck <laughs> and chuck the spare Legos in there and wear shoes in, inside the house, or at least, you know, s- stiff-soled sandals. We're going to have to take a short break. Coming up after the break, what is Stuart opening? You'll find out after these messages. 
Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org, and they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024, 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, Imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Max writes, 
My wife and I like to watch a lot of movies via an online streaming service. He doesn't name it, which is great. Usually during or just after dinner. Sometimes my wife will fall asleep and make us stop the movie to finish it later. I hate doing this, as I feel it ruins the narrative flow of the film. I say my wife should muscle through a movie once we've started it, or recognize her tired state and suggest a shorter TV episode to watch instead. On a related note, she will fast forward through a movie if she decides it's not very good. I would like her to either stop it when we realize it's bad, and either watch it on her own later, or watch it together at normal speed. So you've got two different questions there. Okay, well, we'll take each one in turn. With regard to... Uh, whether to stop a movie when the wife falls asleep to pick it up later or to insist <laughs> that she power through it, presumably by using some sort of clockwork orange style eyelid restraint device. Only way to do it. Uh, it's You know what? It's true. It's just like Lego. There, <laughs> there are competitors. <laughs> but you're really not going to get them. But why wouldn't you just go with the Clockwork Orange brand eye restraint device when you're trying to force your spouse into watching a movie such that it becomes torture for both of you? I don't want to reveal my bias, or I should say my decision yet, but what's your what's your ruling on that? This uh, was a, a tough one for me because I have a the similar but opposite problem of uh, my wife and I will often watch things and I will be falling asleep during it, and she'll say, should we stop and watch this later? And I'm like, I don't know, let's, I want to watch it now, and then I'll miss most of what we're watching. So, for instance, True Detective, there are huge gaps in my understanding of that show because I would sleep through things. Uh, but I think, I mean, he should be nice to his wife and, and stop the movie and finish it later. Like, come on. As a professional bad movie watcher, Elliot, what is, what is your ruling on this? Well, it's, if, you, if you're watching it to watch a bad thing, then you've got to watch it all the way through. If you're saying, oh, we want to watch something bad or we're enjoying the badness of it, you can't get bored an hour in and say like, ah, eh, well, let's fast forward. But on the other hand, if you're watching a good movie and you're getting bored by it, I am totally okay with the person skimming through the rest just in case something great happens. There's a bunch of old movies that have great individual sequences, but the rest of the movie around it is kind of like, bleh. Uh, yeah, but and, I, I, all right. But I, and I'm not going to make anyone sit through all two and a half or three hours of the great Ziegfeld just so they can see the a pretty girl is like a melody sequence, which is great and totally stands on its own outside of the movie. So it's I'm a I'm I'm okay with people skimming it as long as they've given the movie a fair chance to begin with. You know, five minutes in, they can't make that decision. Yeah, I mean, if but if you're watching like a famous movie, like what was that one you said, The Great Ziegfeld? Yeah. All right, and you know that there's a famous sequence in it or a famous song then why not just go to YouTube and find that part and watch it? That's true. Or, you could do that too. Or, or you know, I, I should say, pay for your content and, and rent it or, or buy the DVD or whatever, however you're streaming and stealing these days. <laughs> and just go to that part. Now, if you, if, you're, if you put in a movie, let's say it's a movie like uh, uh, Deliver Us From Evil, starring Eric Bana and Joel McHale uh, and Olivia Munn, right? And you put this in, uh, with uh, with a, a a good faith assumption that this is going to be a good movie and you realize that it's not good, what would you even be fast forwarding for at that point? I don't understand how you would fast forward or skim a movie if you are just looking at the visuals because you already know the words are probably going to be dumb. What would you even be looking for? I don't get uh, if that there's, at all. You think maybe there's going to be a good car chase or a fight scene or a dance number or a you know, a, some kind of a scares or something like that. How are the dance numbers in Deliver Us From Evil? They are lacking. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And you, and you, what's wrong with you? Would have been a better movie. I differ with your ruling, Elliot, on the second part. If you are watching a movie and you have decided that it is bad... Please stop watching it. Stop it. Stop watching. Unless, as you say, you are watching something that you know is bad and that is something to savor in it, or you have a popular podcast on the Maximum Fun <laughs> Network. If you, are, if you are watching even a celebrated film that you find to be boring or bad, uh, stop. Stop doing it. And this speaks, actually, to a, a real life, of a, a, a difficult negotiation with my own 
spouse regarding a movie that uh, we, we were at, we were at an event with, and there was some very famous people there and some, and I will not name names, but there is one, one couple, uh, uh, both of them famous and, and whom we both really are inspired by in different ways. And we had to make conversation with, with these, with this couple. And somehow the topic turned to a particular movie and they could not believe that my wife had never seen this movie. And, uh, and that movie is the Godfather. And she's like, Nope, I never saw it. And they're like, next time we see you, I hope you will have watched the Godfather. And I said, there you go, Kath, you have to now. And so a year went by and there was an event to which they were going to be invited again. In any case, she didn't do it. And I'm like, well, you're going to, you're going to see this couple again, and you're going to have to admit that you never did it. And we went to this event where they were due to appear and they didn't show up. They had to beg off at the last minute. And I was like, justice denied. Justice was denied in this case. My wife was not humiliated. She got away with it scot-free. It's like, <laughs> I want, I wanted her. No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> she got, she got away with, she got away with not merely not watching the Godfather, but not liking the Godfather. She never even had to look these people in the eye and say, I'm sorry. I did not think this was a very good movie. And she was so happy. And I'm like, never forget, darling. I have a podcast. And I'll just humiliate you on the podcast. So there, I did that. Justice finally, justice de- uh, delayed, but not denied. This was the uh, this was the OJ civil case. Yeah, exactly. Compared to the originals OJ criminal case. Sure, but it was a situation where I really had to say, yeah, you know what i I understand the this is not a movie for you, and and uh, I saw the movie in a different way, and so it is my feeling that um, when you are watching something that does not speak to you, even if it's something as beloved universally as the godfather um your 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 life is finite and you should turn off culture that is not that is not speaking to you after as you say elliot you give it a fair chance so a hard novel for example i think you need to give you know at least 25% reading of a novel even if it's really hard because you never know how it's going to pull you in and novels tend to be slow that way. And a, and a movie that's not talking to you, I would say you have to give it till at least the moment that Michael Corleone shoots Salazzo. You know what that's I'm talking about. That's pretty far into that movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a fair shake. I mean, I couldn't, <laughs> that is a- I couldn't deny that she gave it a fair shake. She gave it a fair if she, shake. If she watched that far and she was still not interested, then that is that is a very fair far, fair shake. Yeah, and it's just you it, make a good point. Yeah, and uh, and there was a there was part of me that really wanted to say you don't understand what good is, but I know that she understands what good is. But good is different to different people. If you are a person who's falling asleep in the middle of a movie, um, there is another precedent that goes, goes back to ancient law long before this court was founded. And that is you snooze, you lose. Sorry. If you, if, (laughs) if you fall asleep, you abrogate, uh, all movie watching rights. You cannot demand that the thing be turned off. You can ask, but you cannot demand. It's re- it then becomes up to the person who is alert and awake as to whether or not they're going to continue to watch The Godfather to the end while the spouse sleeps beside them. And then take a mental image of this and realize I am a middle-aged married person. That's what... <laughs> So uh, we we agree, uh, I think we disagree on both of those, Elliot, because because you you had a slightly different take. You were like, yeah, you, be nice to your wife, but it's like, no, don't be nice to your spouse if they fall asleep during. <laughs> I the will thing. say they're voting I, they're voting with their eyelids as to what they how they feel about this movie. <laughs> I see. I don't know that they're totally in control of that decision. <laughs> well, you know, tough. <laughs> they they can they can always go back and and watch it themselves. But if, That's true. It's never been easier to rewatch things. I think we have time for, for one more, Elliot. Kathy writes, My husband and I have two girls, ages four and five. As they grow, I want them to be involved in team sports. 
I was on sports teams growing up and firmly believe that it played a pivotal role in my social development. Team sports provide children with the skills to work with others, discipline, lasting friendships, and a desire for physical fitness. My husband does not want our kids to be involved in team sports. He believes that it consumes too much time and money. He thinks that we are capable of providing their physical education. He also had bad sport-related experiences in his childhood. I'd like to start fitting our kids for jerseys and buying tiny bottles of electrolyte-replacing sports drink. I know you want to be on my team because it sucks to be the last ones picked. Well, obviously, Kathy is not very familiar with this podcast or me and my work as a person, or else she would know it's not going to work to try to entice me into an opinion using sports metaphors. That said, Ellie Kalen, uh, what do you think? You you uh, you 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 don't read as a sportsman to me. You always read as a nerd to me, not a jock. Oh yeah, I'm I'm very heavily coded as nerd. Yeah, right. You, you do you have a do you have a feeling about which way I'm going to rule on this, or a strong opinion one way or the other on this? I did you also, grow up I, playing a sport, Elliot? I play. I attempted a couple sports, mm-hmm. but I never stuck with them. Like when I was very young, I played soccer because there's a law uh, that they think they put into place in the United States in like 1982 that all young children have to play soccer sure. at some point. Yeah. Uh, and I played like t-ball uh, when I was in high school. I briefly was on the track team, and I dabbled in going to fencing practice, but I only did that a couple times. Oh, but I, but what I, I wouldn't do to see young Elliot Kalen with a foil or an epee or maybe a saber. Oh, I would have. I and and that's what it comes down to is. I was never that interested in sports, but even when I was, I didn't stick with it once it's. I found out it was difficult. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's you shouldn't force your children to do sports, but if they're interested, you should force them to stick with it long enough to see if they really want to do it. You know, like I did a lot of I would say like, oh, I want to join that team. And then like a couple weeks in, I'm like, I'd rather be reading comic books. I don't like this. But now looking back, it's like it was just because I was being challenged in a way that I wasn't used to being challenged. And I wish that I had attempted to meet that challenge a little more seriously. So, Elliot, before I reveal my opinion, I just have a few things that I need to pick apart in this letter that Kathy sent me, having never listened to this podcast before, obviously. First of all, I am a non-sports person. I did play a little soccer like you, Elliot, uh, in, my, in my early years. I was tricked into it because the, the local youth soccer team that I was invited to play on was called The Force. And I was like, okay, you got me. <laughs> I guess I'll give this a try. I guess I'll stop watching marathons of Mary Tyler Moore in the afternoon and go and play some soccer. I was terrible at it. I mean, we were little kids. And then one time out of sheer uh, luck, I accidentally kicked the ball into the opposing team's goal and we scored a point, which is how the game is played. And it may even have won the game. And I can't take a lot of credit for it uh, other than it just happened. But everyone got excited, none more excited than me. I thought I was finally turning this around. And in my excitement, I yelled, we won. And then I pointed at the other team. I said, you all lost, losers. And then my my coach, who was an Irish-born Irishman, publicly shamed me in front of all of my teammates for being a bad sport. And I realized and it was so traumatic that I, I never played again. I was, I realized this is not for me. And, and so I take issue with a very common mythology that Kathy, you have laid out in your letter, which is a mythology that you hear all the time about youth sports, which is that they provide children with the skills to work with others, discipline, lasting friendships, and a desire for physical fitness. Now let's just separate out the desire for physical fitness for a moment, because the truth is all kinds of things provide children with the skills to work with others, discipline, and lasting friendships. And there's often a bias among people who love sports who suggest, yeah, but the only real way to learn skills, to work with others, discipline and lasting friendships is to get into a running and kicking game and be yelled at by a man all the time. When in fact, 
there are all kinds of things kids can do. They can they can go uh, uh, they they can go into all kinds of clubs, all kinds of activities. If you really want to breed a generation of super competitors, don't have them play sports. Put them in a symphony orchestra together, a youth orchestra. That's where they'll really learn discipline, and uh, they won't learn lasting friendships, but they'll learn how to defeat their enemies. That's for sure. And you might also teach them to go into comedy, like improv comedy or something. You might teach them to learn how to work in an environment like The Daily Show. Certainly, if only way to uh, develop the skills to work with others, self-discipline and create lasting friendships was to play soccer, uh, there would be no Elliot Kalin as the head writer of The Daily Show. Right, Elliot? Uh, not at all. Right. Because I would have never... Uh, yeah, wouldn't you, have happened. Yeah, you would... Now, as far as the desire for physical fitness goes, yes, obviously sports have a physical fitness uh, uh, benefit. Um, but the truth is that uh, the desire for physical fitness is innate. If it doesn't happen when your kid is a child, just wait until they turn 40 years old and they realize, oh, I'm dying. I better start. <laughs> <laughs> then that desire will happen. <laughs> Furthermore, you know, the, the, other, the other side of all the team building uh, and discipline and lasting friendships is some people do have horrible experiences with team sports. You know, team sports is the the reason we we are we are uh, attracted to them as a species is that they they reek of tribalism, uh, and you know we we assi we assign ourselves randomly to some some tribe, some Red Sox nation. I'm not. Don't get mad at me, Red Sox people. I'm from Boston. I'm with you. Do you know what I mean? But even then, I have to give a qualifier there because if I say, I don't like this team, there are places where you could be hurt for misaligning yourself with the wrong tribe. And within those tribes, you know, this is a, a sports a sports training, especially team sports training, is a top-down dictatorship and pecking orders arise. And it is terrible to be the last ones picked. Trauma can be associated with this. Not always great things. And I'm not saying that it's one more than the other. But, you know, I would say before you do anything, you should say to your husband, what was your experience with sports? And and hear what he has to say. Maybe it's just nothing. Do you know what I mean? But maybe it's something. Maybe it was something that went really wrong uh, in his in his growing up as a result of team sports and before dismissing him saying well that's just you nerd I mean think about it because it doesn't always go right for everyone team sports that is I would say uh, if to just to add a little bit to that is that the flip side of me wishing that I had taken sports more seriously is that not being interested in the competitive aspect of it kind of turned me off from physical activity yes. in general for yeah. a while. Yes. And so I grew up thinking like I don't like playing sports when it really was that I don't like caring who wins or loses. Mm -hmm. But like I, I love running around and like hitting things and climbing things and kicking things. Like though everybody enjoys that. Right. But it's having that put in a structure of like, okay, but now you have to be better at it than somebody else and just – by God's own gifts to me, yeah. I will never be better than anyone else at doing that. Winning the, uh, winning the game proves which team God loves more. Exactly. And it's so to always be reminded, well, the point of this is to win and you're just not going to win. It made me yeah. feel like, okay, well, then I don't like this whole thing. When really I just didn't like that aspect of it. And, and there are great coaches and there are terrible coaches. And there are great trainers and there are terrible trainers. There, there are uh, great sports programs and then there are toxic sports programs. And it's, I'm not suggesting that it is intrinsic to team sports across the board, but it is something that, you know, you, you can't predict that your children are going to have the same experience that you did with sports, which was obviously very positive. Now, Kathy, here's where it gets better. Nope, it doesn't. Goodbye. You're wrong. No, sorry. <laughs> Here, here's where here's where to really inappropriately appropriate a uh, gay youth empowerment message and apply it <laughs> to sports and apply which, it to which is usually jocks. usually not on the same team. Here's where it gets better. For all that I just said about sports, I actually think that. I, 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 and especially later in my life, I've come to really appreciate uh, sports, team sports and athleticism in general. And then obviously, I, I mean, I've always been fascinated with the the uh, the nerdy, the, the nerdy solo sports of 
insane personal perfection, like bicycling or running or, you know, weightlifting where you just all by yourself. You, as I've said before, you might as well be painting a, a, a Dungeons and Dragons figurine at that point. It's, it's, you're, you're entirely in your own head and that's always been beautiful. But late in my life, I've come to appreciate not merely the value of team sports, but also what not being meaningfully involved in team sports meant in my life, which was that uh, as an only child, I already was ill-trained for uh, conflict and confrontation, um, interpersonal conflict and confrontation. And as an only child not involved in sports, I, I, was, I lacked the routine conflict and confrontation that is competitive sports such that it was well into my 30s that I thought any sort of conflict or confrontation was probably fatal. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that goes for like, negotiating the sale of a car to, you know, deciding, you know, having different ideas of what to have for dinner to mm-hmm. hugging and kissing another human being. Any kind of interpersonal thing was highly it's, charged. It's, it's weird that hugging and kissing another human being is under conflict there in no, your but, categories. But it's, but it's, <laughs> but sort of, you mean. it's risky confrontation. Do you know what I mean? Like to, to, yes. to, to make a first move uh, or receive a first move. It's, it's terrifying. And what I realized, and David Reese helped me to understand this, and I've talked about it before, is that is that competitive sports and team sports, obviously, um, help you to, they're basically a rehearsal of conflict such that you're able to throw away defeat after a while. And in many ways, the defeat is the more important value than the winning because you're able to shake off defeat and, and keep going. And you begin to realize that this kind of, the conflict and confrontation and and uh, and ambiguous uh, outcomes in life are not fatal, but in fact, something that you can process. And I think that that can be extremely valuable. You can learn it from a lot of different other ways too, but it is something that I think is intrinsic to sports. And of course, it's wonderful if you become physically fit and able to gain, there's an extra measure of confidence you have if you're able to execute certain physical maneuvers deftly and you have confidence in your body and that sort of thing. So when it came time, Kathy, for uh, my wife and I to make these sorts of decisions about our children when they're about your children's age, I did not stand in the way of sports like your dumb husband did, your, that nerd husband of yours. I, I, I said, you know, they need, they need an opportunity at least to try it out and see if it speaks to them. And so we did. We signed them, we signed them up for a number of different, I think, uh, baseball, I think, for both of them. And, you know, both, both of the, both of my human children were actually pretty adept and I got excited about it when they would, uh, stick hit or base run or whatever it was that they were doing. I don't understand how that game works, but you know, um, and if they had, if they, if they had a good time and if they wanted to continue, I was all for it, but, and I did push them neither one way or the other. And after a while they decided, nope. Doctor Who is on. I'm going to watch that. And I'm like, oh, there is such a thing as genetics. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, the I am not suggesting, like your nerd husband, that there should be no sports in your life. It's obviously important to you, and you should model that to your kids. Um, but where you are both going wrong is being caught up in an ideological debate and believing in the delusion that you are going to choose for your kids what their passions are, be they sports or non, and 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 be neutral and do not do not let your nerd jock fight that def- clearly defines your marriage uh, infect their uh, their experience of the arts, both athletic and non. <laughs> I'm afraid that's all the time we have for the docket. We we left a couple still on the docket. Well, so we didn't. We I would say we three quarters cleared the docket. Now it is time to reveal the incredible passion project of the third part of the Flophouse <laughs> podcast. We've all been waiting uh, and we've been mercilessly teasing the audience the entire hour and some odd minutes. What is Stuart going to do? He's going to open some bar? Uh, Stuart Wellington, one third of the Flophouse. Uh, people may know him as the Flophouse house cat. Uh he is opening a new bar uh, in association with his wife, Charlene, who is the proprietor of Charlene's, an already existing bar. Uh, it's going to be called Hinterlands, and it's going to be on Church Avenue in Brooklyn in uh, the Fort Hamilton Prospect Park South area. Uh, I think they're hoping to finally have it open before the end of the year. 
but if you want to like the Hinterlands Bar Facebook page, which is already up, I'm sure you'll get all the important information about this. Uh, sure to be the most exciting bar in which people also play board and role-playing games in Brooklyn. Oh, uh, it's an RPG-themed so. bar? Not entirely, but there will be plenty of it since that is Stuart's lifelong passion. That's awesome. And I know that the bathroom, they were planning to wallpaper it with pages from old uh, gaming and monster manuals. That, that's like a, that's like a jock's dream job. Hey, we need you to tear up all these old monster <laughs> manuals to put them in a bathroom. <laughs> Good, where they belong. Okay, I'll do it. Right. Uh, and you will, con- and you continue to release uh, episodes of the Flophouse. Uh, every two weeks, uh, the Flophouse. Uh, go to iTunes or go to MaximumFun.org or go to theflophousepodcast.com uh, and listen to the Flophouse. Uh, we continue to do it until somebody makes us stop, and nobody has managed to do that yet. Uh, and I would have one last final plug, which is that uh, a Marvel comic book series that I wrote called Spider-Man and the X-Men that I was very happy with is available in a collected trade paperback form. You can find it in bookstores probably anywhere. Yeah, we, Spider-Man and the X-Men in it. We didn't even touch upon your your other career as a writer for Marvel Comics. Yeah. Um, which is fantastic. I mean, this is a guy, this is a, not Elliot Kale and everybody, this guy is a quadruple, quintuple threat as long as you're interested in comics or weird movies. <laughs> Otherwise, you will find me very unthreatening. Yeah, otherwise, no, no threat whatsoever. <laughs> I remain John Hodgman. By the time you hear this, I will have concluded the Vacation Land tour proper. Thank you so much to everybody, uh, uh, listener and non-listener, like who came out to say hello on the tour. It was really spectacular. And um, I don't know what the future holds for that particular show, but I enjoyed performing it live for you in all the various places that I went. I do have one last event coming up. Uh, this winter before uh, I, I disappear uh, into 2016, which is the future where we will all disappear too soon. On November 7th, I and Jordan Klepper of The Daily Show with Trevor Noah will be appearing together at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. It is a university event that is open to the public. So if you're anywhere near Athens, Ohio, that includes uh, Pittsburgh, Columbus, parts of West Virginia. Why don't you come on down? Elliot, who produces and edits the show? This show is produced by Julia Smith. Mark McConville is the editor. Uh, you can follow the Judge John Hodgman podcast and its hosts on Facebook and Twitter. Find Judge John Hodgman on Facebook. The Judge is at Hodgman on Twitter. And if you have a case for the judge, submit it to www.maximumfun.org slash J-J-H-O. And I have been your guest bailiff, Elliot Kalin. Very uh, thankful and proud to have been here. Well, you know, this is a, a long one. I'm not sure how long the final edit will be. I could talk to you for another, uh, I won't say another hour, but maybe 30 minutes, 29, 30 minutes for sure. <laughs> After that, it might be a bit of a stretch, but that's that's a lot, <laughs> and it speaks to my fondness for you, Elliot Kalen. Where, where can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, if you go to at Elliot Kalen, that's Elliot with two L's and two T's, Kalen, K-A-L-A-N, uh, on Twitter. Just my name. Just your name. This has been the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. We'll return next week with more cases heard live and in the docket uh, here at MaximumFun.org. Thank you very much. I signed that off for us, Elliot. Did you have a sign-off that you wanted to do? Because I kind of did it already. No, no, that was a very good sign-off. Thank you very much. Hello, Wahida. That is all. <laughs>